0: All right. Last week, I'm so sorry. I don't know how we protect you guys from that bright sunlight, but uh, just enjoy the glory of God, I guess. Amen. All right. Last week, I started a new topic: battling depression. And um, I'm actually going to share a little bit, and then I'm going to we're going to do something special in just a few minutes. Um, I've got a special treat for you that I believe. I believe breakthrough is here this morning. I could feel it when I was praying over worship this morning. I could feel it in our worship this morning, before worship and during worship, that we need to be free. We need to get free of the things that are holding us back. And I believe that this spirit of depression is one of the key chains that bind our nation, that bind our church, that bind our kids, that bind our marriages is this thing called depression. Amen? We started last week looking at the the book of Jeremiah. And as I've said, if you go through the books of the Bible, if you go through the characters and the the, the people of the Bible, and I don't necessarily want to call them characters because they are real people. They're not stories. They are real human beings just like you and me. But if you go through and you look at these men and women of faith and of power, almost all of them struggled with depression at some time. All of them. Even the greatest, greatest of men and women. So all that's to say you're not alone and you're not damaged goods. You are just what God intended for you to be. And as we start to try to pull ourselves out, and as we start to try to pull ourselves toward the Lord and walk toward the Lord, The Lord is going to redeem you. God's a redeemer. He doesn't leave you there. He desires to take you from where you are and to put you where you are supposed to be. And that is on the solid rock that will not waver when the storms come. That is your covenant. It's not to be thrown around every time the wind blows, it's to stand and it's not to break. It's not to break. You're intended to keep your roots in. You might bend a little. God never said we won't bend. God never said the storms won't come, but He did say, "If you'll stand on My Rock, you will not fall." Amen. So let's let's look real quick at what we looked at last week. Um, I have a uh, PowerPoint. Last week we looked at the reasons why God's people are depressed, and part, uh, uh, number one was that we believe that God has let us down. Do you remember, <laughs> Shannon? You're going to crack me up over there. Look like you're uh, boycotting me. We would do. Uh, we would go to pep rallies at school and bring newspapers. And when they would introduce the other team, you'd pull out your newspapers and hold them up because you didn't want to look at them. <laughs> Amongst other things. Well, that that was we'll just leave it at that. Yay, you just scooted. All right. That's the correct term. Scooted. All right. But we believe that God has let us down. I'm sure that there has been some point in your life with walking with the Lord that you feel like that God has not held up his part of the bargain. Jeremiah 20 verse 7 says, oh, Lord, you've deceived me. And I was deceived. You've overpowered me and prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. Can anybody relate? You can see that Jeremiah is saying, I'm depressed. Because he thinks that God's deceived him. Psychologists will tell you one thing that's in common in almost all kinds of depression is disappointment. We have all had times where we've been disappointment. And sometimes maybe even set up by God. Now, I'm talking about this because it's common. It happens. You know, if you think you're the only one getting set up, you're the only one going through it, you might sink into some self-pity that you can never get out of. You're not alone. I have been at a point where I felt like God wasn't hearing me or didn't care what I had to say, really didn't care about my situation. In my, in my heart, I really thought, where are you, God? But number two, this is where we start this morning. We believe or we experience repeated rejection. We become depressed whenever we consistently or repeatedly have rejection and things turn out wrong. Now, if you can hang in there with me, you've got to understand. Very seldom will I give some uh, melancholic or depressive sermon. I am a optimist, a sanguine. You ever heard that word? sanguine pastor i'm a positive i'm positive i I try to see the upside of it doesn't mean i always do but it's rare for me to just give a complete (laughs) depressive sermon on depression but some of you are going to love it some of you that just like and pardon me karen the violins and the sad movies and i can't stand tearjerker movies i just have got better things to do than to cry I just, I just can't, I just don't like them. Don't make me cry. It's not an emotion I really want. And when I do cry, I want it to, want it to count. I don't want to waste my tears on. Anyway, us upbeat people won't understand this, but hang in there with me. Check, check out verse eight, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse eight. Each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Now, if I can just stop for just a minute that may be one of the reasons why Jeremiah is not too well liked to put it into our language today. Jeremiah was not the picture of positivity of his generation. He continues on in the same verse to say, I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the world, uh, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach derision and derision all day long. And then he says in verse 10, I have heard the whispering of many. Paranoia is setting in. He's hearing things. Have you ever done that in a crowd? They start getting in little groups and whispering and Jeremiah saying, oh no, they're talking about me again. They hate to hear me preach. He's taking it right where it counts. He's taking it absolutely personally. He says the people are saying right here in verse 10, he says, Terror is on every side. Denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall saying, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. In other words, all of his trusted friends, he thinks you're saying, we just can't wait till Jeremiah messes up so we can say, I told you so. Can you see this self-pity that he's falling into? That he's buying into? Every time I get up to preach, I'm derided all day long. You know what they call Jeremiah? Can you imagine when they see Jeremiah come and they'd say, uh-oh, here comes old death and destruction. Do you got people that you can just say, you know what? When I talk to this person, I am going to wind up depressed. You got anybody that, well, who is the character in Peanuts and uh, Charlie Brown that always had the cloud over him? It was Charlie Brown? <laughs> Well, Charlie Brown had it sometimes. Sometimes he would walk and the, the cloud would follow him. Not Pigpen, No. Anyway, that's okay. I may have them all messed up. We'll say of the seven dwarfs. Uh, grumpy. D- Eeyore. Eeyore. Okay. Eeyore. Now, can we move on? You got the picture? you remember let, let me just give another cartoon In bugs bunny whenever uh, a Ka- uh, wiley coyote would walk around the cloud would follow him and he'd move over in the cloud would. i think that's him wasn't it? the roadrunner yeah but it wouldn't do the roadrunner just do coyote anyway okay now here comes old death and destruction i mean this guy is not going to be the life of the party He had had to preach a judgment day message because that's exactly what was going to happen to the children of Israel. But he was getting beat down so long, repeated rejection so much. You know what he decided to do? He decided to do the same thing that you and I would do every time we experience repeated rejection. He wanted to back up and withdraw and say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there anymore. Mark Twain once said, if a cat sits on a hot stove, that cat will not sit on a hot stove again. That cat won't sit on a cold stove either. That cat just won't like stoves. Jeremiah said, if it's this bad, I'm going to quit preaching. And so this guy's got a problem. Let me tell you, just from my standpoint, if, if, if my success in preaching or in leading worship was based on your reaction, I would never get up hardly at all. It's not that y'all don't react or don't participate, but sometimes we get these high expectations and we want to see people running through the, running through the church and screaming and hollering. People get, get, get saved and people get healed. And that is what I want to see, but I've got to get up the next week and do it again. I used to go home at night and be hateful to my wife and to my family because I felt like the Lord didn't move in my worship. And the Lord finally said to me one day, he said, how dare you? That's not yours. That's mine. Their reaction has nothing to do with what you're doing. Are you obedient to me? Are you giving me everything you've got? Are you preparing your heart for me? Are you edifying and pumping into your team? Is your team on board with you? Are they unified? Are you doing everything you can? Then don't worry about the result. The result is the Lord's. Even if these people are not liking what he is preaching, is he preaching God's word? Do you follow me? The problem is we allow the wrong things to get attached to us. I'm going to quit preaching. Jeremiah in verse 9 says, But I say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name. In other words, if I quit preaching, then his word in my heart becomes like burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. He said, I have to preach the message. When I try to hold it in, I'm miserable inside. But when I let it out, I'm miserable outside. Let me give you, no, give you a uh, Charlie Brown quote. He said, He was talking to Linus one day and he said, I've just got a rejection slip from a publisher. And Linus said, that happens. A lot of manuscripts get rejected. And Charlie Brown said, yeah, but I didn't submit any. You know, sometimes rejection comes in our own family circle and that hurts the most. We know what it's like to be rejected by friends. You know, P.T. Barnum once coined the phrase, there's a sucker born every minute. That phrase came right out of his own life. His partner said that if he would invest his money in some magic potion to make hair grow on your head, that he would become wealthy. And Barnum invested everything he had only for the guy to take his money and to run off. We know what it's like to not be liked. I heard a story about uh, Lou Holtz. If you all know Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz coached uh, Notre Dame and then uh, South Carolina. But it, he said that down south, they take football very seriously, and, and this team had a losing season. And finally, the team lost his ma- to their major arch rival of the conference. It would be like Tennessee losing to Alabama or everybody this year. And finally, the team lost a major game in the conference. It was the worst thing that could have happened. And the alumni sent a letter to the coach saying, the last train leaves at 1130 tonight. Be under it. This is his supporters. Don't be on it. Be under it. So many times we experience rejection. Rejection, in my, in my opinion, is one of the hardest things to take. I spent a whole series of weeks on dealing with rejection. At, at, at this time, I've asked someone with testimony to come and share about being um, freed out of depression. Now, starting next week, and I'm going to come back and, and close after, after she speaks, but it's going to be better next week. Next week, we're going to look at the tools on how to come out of it, how did Jeremiah come out of it. But at this time, if y'all would please just welcome Miss Eileen Cunliffe to the stage. She's going to share. Amen.
1: Hi, (laughs) Um, last Monday, I I come every morning, Monday morning to pray with um, a group and um, sometimes Paul asks, well, how, how was it Sunday? And I opened my big mouth and said that uh, it was a great word and it really quickened something in me because I had dealt with depression a number of years ago and he said, well, why don't you share? So here I am. And so far, what you've said this morning has been textbook what I went through with depression. Um, But let me give you just a real brief history of who I am and and where I come from. Uh, I got saved when I was 19 years old, and when I was 20, I got filled with the Holy Spirit and became very much in love with the Lord. I was a worshiper, and I was called to intercession very early in my Christian life, and Uh, For the next 15 years, I was thought I was very close to the Lord. But during this time, I was also in an abusive marriage and suffered years and years of uh, verbal and some physical abuse as well. All this time praying and seeking God for healing for my husband and healing for my marriage. But after 15 years, I lost hope. I felt like God let me down. I felt like he didn't answer my prayers. And so I, I just couldn't stay in the marriage anymore and I left and I filed for divorce. Well, uh, shortly after that, I met Ron and we've been married for about 15 years now. It'll be 16 years in April. And we got married, but I still had baggage. And a couple years into our marriage, we started having trouble. Uh, Neither of us were living for the Lord at that point. And that began my spiral down into depression. You know, I felt like I had kind of been pushing it back for a long time, but it finally got the better of me. And all the disappointment and rejection from my ex-husband, disappointment and unanswered prayer, um... Stuff going on with our kids, our marriage started to suffer, and Ron also had been through a divorce and and he said, "I don't want to, I don't want this to happen again. We've got to do something different." So we started going to church, and within a short time, God touched Ron's heart, and he rededicated his life and began hungering after God and me. I got worse and worse. I got angrier and angrier at God. I could hardly stand to walk into church because that was God who let me down. And so I began to isolate myself. I separated myself from all of my friends. I started getting really paranoid. Um, Also about during this time, I started having a lot of physical problems. I, I was in chronic pain, which also can lead to depression. And I was so paranoid, I would not let Ron talk about me to anybody. If he even said to one of our friends, Eileen's having a rough day, she's in a lot of pain, he would pay. I was so angry. How dare you talk about me? That's private. You know, don't talk about me. So there, we, there I am, disappointment, self-pity, Rejection withdrawal and isolation. And that is so, so dangerous. The withdrawal and the isolation is so dangerous. And so it got to the point where I couldn't sleep at night. I mean, I would lay there awake, tormented with just racing thoughts, could not eat. I dropped about 20% of my weight within just a very short amount of time. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And finally I I couldn't take it anymore. And this, what Jeremiah said about how it it just hurt him so much when he withdrew, he just couldn't take it anymore. And I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't stand the pain of disappointment in God, but I also knew that God was my only answer. There was a foundation that was laid in me when I got saved. And that foundation is still there. And I, I woke up one day and I just felt like, my life had become a pile of rubble. I could almost see, you know, like the ruins in Greece, you know, all those big stones just crumbled. And I felt like I was standing in the middle of it. And I I said, Lord, what happened? You know, what happened? All this time, all these years of, of living for you and serving you and praying and worshiping and believing you, is laying at my feet in a pile of ruins. And I I felt like the Lord told me to look under the ruins, and, and it was a solid foundation. I was still standing on the foundation. And then I began to see that what I had built was faulty. The foundation was sure, but what I had built was faulty. I thought I was believing God for answer to prayer, but I was believing prayer I thought I had faith in God, but I had faith in faith. I was living that life of faith. But my expectation wasn't in the Lord. It was in what I wanted. And and I had put my hope in that. And that your hope can't stand in that. Your hope has to be in the Lord. So anyways, I, I finally submitted to seeking counsel with my pastor, thank God for this man because he also walked through depression several years before. And so I felt, I didn't know it at the time, but he shared that with me and I felt like this, this is going to be an answer for me. And it was after one session of counseling that I went home and cried out to the Lord and I released all my expectation for answered prayer I released all my expectation for restoration and the fixing of my ex-husband and now the fixing of the disaster from divorce. And I turned to the Lord. I repented. And this is what you mentioned last week that really caught me. And it was the beginning of my deliverance. Yes, I repented for sin. But true repentance is is turning your eyes off of where you are and turning them on to the Lord. And when I put my eyes back on the Lord, deliverance came. In a moment, I was delivered from depression, but the healing took time. And it was steady, and it was gentle, and it was beautiful. But it was so different than my life before. I thought, Am I ever going to get back what I lost? Am I ever going to have that same experience with the Lord that I had before? And He told me, No, it's different. I'm doing something new in you. And again, I had to release my expectation and let God be God and do what He wanted to do. So, as one who has walked that valley, if you're suffering from depression, don't hide. Talk to somebody, get prayer, and turn to the Lord. Turn away from what disappointed you. Turn away from unanswered prayer. Turn away from your faith in faith and put your eyes on the Lord because that's where deliverance is. That's where healing is.
0: Thank you. Will stay right here with Elizabeth? As I said last week, and I don't want to, um, I want us to stay right where we are because I feel like the Lord's moving. But we can have 10 steps on how to get out of depression, 10 steps on how to fix your finances, 10 steps on how to be successful or raise kids. But the key is repentance. And that what she said on repentance, we always want to think it's just forgive me for my sin, which that is what it is. But it is a turning It's a change. It is showing the Lord, I change from who I have been and who I am to who you desire me to be. And I set my eyes upon you and I come running after you. And when we get God that way, truly, we get everything else. Everything else comes. For me to receive the benefits of my father, I don't have to know what benefits he has. I just have to please him and be with him and have presence with him. Now, maybe he had a blessing that I didn't know he had. Does that cause him to withhold it from me because I don't know it? No. But when we come to God and you may be dealing today with depression, tomorrow it's with your kids. Get right with God today and the restoration through your kids or through your family or through your marriage will come. But today it's depression. If everybody wouldn't mind just to bow your heads and Close your eyes for just a moment. If that's you today, don't go out of here without somebody praying for you or at least in your seat asking just as Eileen asked, Lord, free me of this. I desire to turn to you. I do not like where I am. I want to encourage you. You do not have to remain where you are. That is a lie from the pit of hell that you deserve that that you deserve the relationship that you're in, that you deserve the abusive situation that you're in. That's a lie. It's time to come out. It's, it's time to break free. As we still bow our heads, as Eileen shared, faith and faith is such a deep topic. But we don't believe in what we can say and what chance we can say and what we can pray and how good we can sound. We believe in a saving God. We believe in a God who sent his son to shed his blood to cleanse us of these things that we're battling. That's what our faith is in. Our faith is not in what we know. It's not in what we can say and how we can sound. Our faith is in the king. Our faith is in our father. Our faith is in you, God. Now, as we stand in just a minute, and as I open the altar for prayer, Father, I ask you for breakthrough right now. Breakthrough that no psychologist or therapist can give. And I'm not against psychologists nor therapists. Breakthrough that no drug can give. Lord, this is true breakthrough. That uproots it. That leaves no remnant behind. I thank you that you are doing it right now. Now help us in this moment to turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will y'all stand with me? I'm going to ask Miss Eileen to come forward and Elizabeth to come forward and Stephen and Lee to come forward and also those who are to pray this morning. Go ahead and come forward. We want plenty of people up here to receive you if you want prayer. But specifically this morning, and you don't have to come just for this. If you need healing, come down here for healing. If you need breakthrough in your marriage, come down here for that. But if it's depression, come down here. Come down here and let Elizabeth and Miss Eileen, um, let these other prayers down here pray for you. Don't leave here without receiving what God has for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Let's sing.